Hello, and welcome to a very special version of Words with Writers podcast. Today, we are excited to bring you our full Director's Cut interview with R.A. Morris. R.A. Morris was raised in Ancaster, Ontario, and holds a Master of Environmental Studies from York University. After graduate school, he spent a year teaching science in the Honduras before heading back to Canada to work in the environmental sector. He has lived in the small remote communities of Fort Good Hope and the territorial capital of Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories. He currently lives in Toronto. His first novel, Beyond What Separates Us, is a timely work of speculative fiction that offers a glimpse of what societies may look like if we continue on our path of ecological degradation. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> now, so, I'm from a very small community myself, so, and, and, I, and then I moved to Toronto, so I'm curious, um, how do you find living in Toronto as compared to that's very different than uh, living in Yellowknife, right? <laughs> it's true. I can do the small remote town thing surrounded by nature, or I can do the big city, but I grew up like in Ancaster, which is suburb. It's actually bigger than Yellowknife, but, you know, suburb of Hamilton. Can't do the suburbs. <laughs> yeah. So it's either very rural or very big city. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I, li I like, um, one of the things I love about Toronto, though, is you can be right downtown and you can still disappear into a ravine or anything, right? For Basically, yeah. I like, I mean, it's not so much uh, during COVID, but, you know, being able to walk a neighborhood and tons of shops and restaurants all within walking distance, you know, yeah. not something you really uh, get in the suburbs. But then the small community I lived in didn't even have a restaurant or a bar or anything. So <laughs> I guess I'm easily adaptable. Uh, so our, climate change is something that I'm also very passionate about. Uh, and I think that fiction has a very important role to play in changing the attitudes of the masses. And I saw one of your tweets a while back said, beyond what separates us is a timely look at what could happen if we continue to ignore our impact on this planet we call home. I'm wondering, can you just expand on that a little bit and maybe give us a little glimpse into the world you foresee without giving too much away? Sure. I mean, we face at the moment, numerous kind of environmental challenges and crises. Um, the two most obvious being the continued loss of biodiversity and climate change. So this novel kind of explores a future world based on the expected impacts of, you know, our inability to recognize that the Earth's resources are finite and that nature's ability to adapt to over-exploitation of those resources is limited. So this means a world where areas that are currently habitable are no longer fit for humans. Um, there's coastal cities that have been lost to rising sea levels, more frequent and intense storms, uh, including extended periods of drought and floods, and then the destruction of the oceans due to pollution, overfishing, uh, bleaching of coral reefs, that sort of thing. But since the novel is told from the perspective of the four main characters, these issues are their lived experience. So it's, you know, it's to them, it's, they don't know any different. Um, but kind of bring it back to present day, to me, I think this is why you see young people 
really leading the charge for change as they know that the world that they'll live in will be drastically different from the one we know today. And as someone that, you know, has studied this field and works in this field, the science has been saying the same thing for decades, um, which is why it's so frustrating for people that, you know, kind of live in this world. You know, we've kind of seen the same thing now with the COVID pandemic, where the science is either being ignored or manipulated by decision makers or other interests. So, you know, I think fiction can kind of play an important role in communicating science in a more vivid and accessible way. For sure. And so in Beyond What Separates Us, this change has already happened. So these characters, they are not living through it. They're, they were born into it. Yeah. And I mean, there's still changes underway in the story because, you know, that's yeah. expected impacts depending on where things go. You know, it's going to be very different in 2050 than it is in 20, 2100, right? So, you know, it's not it's not like climate change just suddenly happens and that's that's it, right? right? You know, we're we're li- we're seeing some of the impacts today too, right? So, the world, the natural world, is a complex place. Do you think maybe you could give us a little bit of a teaser of it? Sure, happy to. So I'm going to read from the first chapter. This one is told from the perspective of a character set in Eastern Europe. It was hard not to think about that day. The images and sounds replayed in my subconscious, haunting me for months after. The square crowded with thousands of unwashed and malnourished workers. The speeches that led to everyone's anger boiling over. The carts of food were the gravest mistake. We had no way to control the crowds. Once the shooting started, the screaming stampede drove me from Anna's side. Without Anna, I was a shell of a man. She was my heart and purpose. Before that day, I truly believed that all people could be categorized into four distinct types. After that day and my slow awakening to do something, I realized perhaps I'd been wrong about the four types. Each type had their own characteristics and responded to adversity differently. As things slowly went to shit in the world, my theory on the four types solidified. The first type of people were the fatalists. People would have called them submissive or pushovers. They spent their days striving to please others. Insecurities ate away at them. Most suffered from extreme anxiety. They were paranoid, fearful, passive, shy, and meek. When things got really bad, most of them couldn't handle it. They were the first to go. Suicides were common among the fatalists. They just couldn't cut it in a world without stability and comforts. It was easier to give up. Before things got bad, these were the people who had never really been challenged in their lives. Things were given to them and people pitied them for their apparent modesty and passiveness. They had no place in the new world. They were easy pickings for one of the other types, the depraved. The second type of people were the depraved. These were the selfish, sadistic, cruel, and deranged. They have always existed, taking pleasure from the misery of others. History's dictators fit nicely in this category. In functioning societies, laws were put in place to control these people. Some fell through the cracks to become the most violent of criminals. Others found different outlets for their depravity. Bullying, fighting, abusing, they hid their own securities to prey on others. When things got bad, these people thrived. They preyed on the fatalists and had good sport until there weren't very many fatalists left. They desired no structure, no order, no authority. Their world was one of chaos. 
The third type of people were the reconciled. I used to think they were similar to the fatalists, but the fatalists gave up. The reconciled accepted their fate and lived with it. They weren't necessarily passive or fearful, just indifferent, complacent. They never really stood out from the crowd. They blended in neither weak nor strong. They were the neutral players. They could get along with all the other types. When things got bad, they grinned and bore it. Neither selfish nor selfless, they just survived. These were the most abundant people, the ones who stayed in a job they neither hated nor loved, but did because it kept them in relative comfort. They were creatures of routine, unwilling or reluctant to fight for change and easy to persuade and control. The final type had always been the least common. They were the valiant, the selfless heroes humanity had always revered. Children grew up pretending to be them. We created cartoons, comics, and fictions about their deeds. We gave them powers and moral codes. They were uncompromising, fearless, ambitious, and brave. The people who sacrificed themselves to save others. The ones who gave no thought to their own well-being. The problem was they've always been too few. Because of their sacrificial and selfless nature, when things got tough, they tended to not be around too long. The valiant were the dreamers and idealists. They believed in the common good. These are the people we should have put in power. Unfortunately, they never desired power or glory. The fatalists wished they could be them. The reconciled wanted to help and serve them. And the deranged, they wanted to destroy them, like the comic book villains that our heroes battled day in and day out. I thought there must be still some out there, hiding and waiting for the right time to make the world a better place. At least I hoped. If I had to categorize myself, I guess I'd be among the reconciled. I dreamed of being one of the valiant and had plenty of opportunities over the years to try, but I was too selfish for their ranks. I didn't want to see others harm. I wanted the world to be a better place, but would I stick out my neck for someone else in mortal danger? For so long, I didn't think so. On the day that still haunts me, I had a chance to prove my devotion, my strength and courage, yet I did nothing. I ran away and hid, leaving braver people behind. That sounds amazing, uh, Ari. Great excerpts. That definitely makes me want to read the book and hear more about these different groups. Yeah, I, I've started it, and I have to say, I, I really like. I want to be a valiant, especially after listening to you say it. But yeah, that's really the question, right? Like, where do you see yourself as you're reading it? Kind of yeah, and then where do you see the other characters? Realistically, I think I'm probably more reconciled. But hey, now I have a goal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I want to be valiant, but probably more in the reconciled realm. Cool. Um, is where where'd you get the ideas for those kind of different? I don't. It's strange. I've been asked like kind of what I kind of started putting this together. I guess I I had never really written fiction in any way or anything like that. Um, you know, I've always with my career kind of been a writing government reports and other things like scientific documents, technical documents, those sorts of things. Um, but I was living in Yellowknife at the time and just started getting an idea for one of the characters um, and started writing, you know, a story set in the future um, to kind of as a way of an outlet for expressing my own anxieties about the future. And then it kind of just slowly built from there um, to kind of place four main characters in different parts of the world and kind of present like a what that world could look like in the future. And then, you know, the four types kind of came back just in terms of my own 
thinking of, you know, how you can kind of divide up society uh, based on even kind of what we're, what we're seeing now, you know, and someone very politically engaged. Uh, so kind of get frustrated sometimes when the pace of change. Wow. So a little bit of a different question, but we're wondering um, beyond what separates us was released in September, 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, so how have you adapted your, your marketing strategies? Admittedly, it's been a struggle, um, particularly as an independent author. But one of the first things I did was participate in an organized blog tour from a company that provides that service. Um, that resulted in some of my first reviews from book bloggers and uh, influencers to get a readership outside of the one that already knew me. <laughs> um, so, but since then, I've kind of been contacting independent bookstores about carrying it, um, but most haven't been really taking on new stock, the challenges of the pandemic. Um, I did manage to get signed copies in the independent bookstore in Yellowknife. So that was kind of the first store that it's actually in, it's, you know, lived there That's and awesome. where I began writing it. Other than that, I've kind of been trying to participate in things like this, other things that the Canadian Authors Association has been putting on. I participated in the fall in the Toronto Eco Fair, the virtual Eco Fair. So admittedly, I have to, I have to up my social media game as well. <laughs> it's a challenge. How, yeah. how did you find the blog tour? I was just doing a Google search and like reading reviews. So it was, I read book tours that I did it through, um, through company. Um, so most of the, there ended up being 16 bloggers and influencers that signed up for it, all based in the States. And, you know, I, I don't know how successful it is, it was, um, you know, didn't really seem to generate too much in the way of sales, but like I said, it did, um, a handful of the blog tour uh, and influencers that signed up actually did end up posting reviews of the book um, on Amazon and Goodreads and other places. So I think in that sense, it was helpful to at least get some initial reviews out there. People love to see reviews. <laughs> and you published with Iguana Books, right? A, a hybrid press. I know that's something that's quite interesting to a lot of our listeners and members. Could you tell us a little bit about how you found that type of experience? Yeah, um, Iguana Books, they're great about explaining the process and the difference between traditional and self-publishing and kind of where they fit into it. Um, I did do the usual query letters to dozens of publishers and agents and actually ended up getting a response from Iguana pretty early on. Um, but they encouraged me to actually try to find a traditional publisher as they believed kind of my novel warranted going that route. But after another year of kind of searching around and not really hearing anything, um, I decided to connect with Iguana again. And they said they'd be happy to publish it and work with me. So it's a very small and independent professional team. Um, it was pretty important to me to use a Canadian publisher. There was a bonus that, you know, they were based in Toronto. Um, I'm living in Toronto at the time. Um, they're actually like about a few blocks from where I live. So. <laughs> It was pretty convenient in that regard. I'd say for those considering going that route to know that the publishing costs, which are pretty significant, are on you as the author. However, Iguana Books does encourage and helps uh, 
authors with crowdfunding um, to help offset some of the costs. So I ended up doing that as well. Um, you did do the crowdfunding? Uh, I did. Yeah. But again, you know, that was kind of in the spring and summer up to the lead up to September. Um, so again, we were in the kind of middle of a pandemic. So <laughs> uh, didn't necessarily get the, the traction I was hoping for with the crowdfunding, but it did help, you know, offset some of the costs. So you may have uh, ended up working with our uh, Toronto branch co-president, Lee Parpart. Yes, she was. Yeah, she wasn't actually the editor for me, but she ended up helping in the lead up to publication with some of the social media promotion um, and like event uh, type uh, support. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have have subsequently virtually met and <laughs> connected. So yeah. Yeah. once yeah. all this is over, we'll get together in person. Exactly. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Ari, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I know. Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to keep reading uh, Beyond What Separates Us. So, and very still to hear your thoughts. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Are you writing anything new or? Um, I have like ideas. It's kind of admitted again been a challenge like particularly this last year just mentally you know mm-hmm. still still working full-time as well um so that's why this one ended up taking like three years to actually write because you know the last thing after working all day is you want to do is sit and spend right. more time on a screen yeah so i don't really have the motivation for it at the moment <laughs> I think a lot of people are finding that right now. It's just, yeah, a bit of a struggle all around. Mm, But hopefully one day. (laughs) I'm sure you will. And Chris will lend me his copy of your book as soon as he's done. I'm sure. Or I could just go buy it myself. I don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) Just just go buy it, Randy. (laughs) I'd appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Got to support our authors. (laughs) (laughs) That's the whole point. All right. Thanks so much for being here.